Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Timothy Dodson. I'm Trenton Alak. And I'm Donald Garrett. And this is the Passion Cast. So, in today's episode, we're going to be doing a, uh, a this is a bonus, it's an apologetics episode. And we have a special guest reoccurring. He's back again. Go ahead and introduce yourself. It's, uh, it's Nathan Bird here, uh, back again, coming at you. There he is. Here for the two-piece. Yeah. So, um, uh, as I stated, today's episode, well, this episode is going to be a bonus uh, releasing alongside the episode that we did with Bird uh, that we recorded last night, which was, what was that? December 1st. Um, but, which was a great episode, by the way. Um, but tonight, uh, today's episode, we're going to be going into apologetics. Um, and this is going to be a whole brand new series. We're going to be making this a regular thing, probably about once a week. Uh, that way we're not having to do what we did last night and sit for hours studying and looking into things because uh, it took forever for us to get notes ready and everything because there's just so much that goes into it. But um, today... We want to start the podcast, the, this this episode off with um, I, this series, really, for the apologetics. I want to start it off with something that gets talked about way too much, and too many people believe it and leave it there. They 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 hear things, and then they look no further. They just take it at face value, and then they run with it. And that is the Bible books in the Bible being removed, being removed from the Bible. Uh, now, Donald, you looked, that that was basically your main thing last night. You looked into that very heavily. Go ahead and share what you got on that. All right, so I was looking for, because we, we want everything that we have to have reputable, uh, like, we want you to know our sources we want you to know that they came from reliable places. I went through a historical journal storage site called JSTOR.org. It, is, it stores all kinds of historical journals from all kinds of academies and universities. And I found this one piece called The Apocrypha by Solomon Zetlin, which was published by the University of Pennsylvania Press uh, in January of 1947. And I'm going to read you an excerpt from his, uh, his article. Um, and he, he also cites the work of another historian. Um, uh, he calls him a noted scholar, uh, Charles C. Torrey. And this is the quote I would like to read. The term apocrypha used by the church did originate in the book of Ezra. The Jews never applied the word apocrypha to extra canonical books. They divided the books into two categories, those which are canonized and were called holy scriptures and those which were outside of the canon and were termed outside books. The Jews were not only prohibited from reading them, it was optional to destroy them. And and so that says right there that is a two historians saying that these apocryphal books like Maccabees, Enoch, uh, Tobit, all of those um, ones in the Old Testament, like in the Catholic Bible, um, those were never considered canon by the Jews. They were prohibited from reading them. And 
it was even optional to destroy them. And so you can say, you know, whatever you want about, you know, them, the books being kept from people or something, but you cannot say that they were taken out of the Bible because they were never there to begin with. A lot of people will make an intentional attempt to be uh, salacious, <laughs> I love that word, as possible by sort of creating these titles of YouTube videos or TikTok videos where like, books have been taken out of the Bible. What are they hiding? And it's very misleading at best because of the fact that that's just not how it really works. Uh, I'm going to say straight ahead, a lot of books that are not in our canonical, canonical Bible are not in our canonical Bible because they were never accepted mm -hmm. by large groups of Christians or Jews. There's a reason why they are not there. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are not there because of poor historical basis, and we'll go into that for the two most popular and most well-known later on, those being the Book of Enoch and the Gospel of Thomas. And a lot of them are just because they were never accepted by large groups of Christians, or they disagree with actual canon writings that we know for a fact were written more historically reliably, firstly, which is very important, because a lot, most of the books that we do have in the New Testament Bible can be written within around 100 years of Jesus's birth and death. Mm -hmm. And that is, a lot, to a lot of people, they hear that in like a hundred years. That is ridiculous. But here's what we got to understand. When I say that, I'm talking about our discovering of manuscripts. Right. Most of which can be found within that time frame. Now, when it comes to discovering manuscripts, what's important historically is that anything past a thousand years ago, you cannot reliably expect to find a manuscript for anything that's not like 200, 300 years removed from its original writing, its original author, and is super unreliable and we really don't know very well, but we have to guess. The fact that these manuscripts, which are copies, we don't have the original, we, we almost certainly never will for any of these, these are copies. The fact we found a copy of John within 90 something years of Jesus' birth is ridiculous historically, and that can be said for a lot of books that are in the canonical Bible. That cannot be said for almost all of the non-canonical books. They do not have that sort of historical basis. There's no reliability in who wrote them, whereas, say, a lot of people will say, oh, well, there's no evidence that Matthew wrote the book of Matthew. That heading was added on later. Well, we have evidence from early church fathers already referring to it as the book of Matthew as early as the second century. There are things like that which pop up for pretty much every canonical book and it's just you don't get get that same kind of hard evidence for any other right so and that and that's that's a huge thing and so i i do want to disclaim something i do want to add in like a little disclaimer here before we go any further this series which by the way we are turning this into a series the apologetics series uh, that we are doing on the podcast quick thing do you want to define what apologetics means for any audience you might not know it's essentially uh, just like a, a really, to summarize it, it's a deep study into historical text. Usually it's associated with religious text, but it's uh, apologetics can be used to defend your faith or uh, just historical points, whatever it may be. Um, now, I do want to add this in. Do not use this as a tool or weapon to argue or debate people. Actually, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 3-7, through 7, Paul tells Timothy, stay away from debates. Stay away from them. So the thing is, 
is that they do nothing to empower anyone. It does not lift the church up. Um, so, I mean, stay away from it. There, You can have a conversation about these things and exchange ideas, which is like essentially kind of like a, a liberal arts degree. It, it, it's, it's essentially having a conversation and, ex- and exchanging ideas with people, not yelling over one another and trying to find out who's right and who's wrong, or I'm right and you're wrong and there's nothing you can tell me that will change my mind about it. It's like, that is so wrong. Please do not fall into that. Uh, I've been in that trap before um, as a Christian and as an atheist. Uh, do not let that consume you. Because the thing is, is that that will, that, look, one thing I want another thing that I want to add. Information like this is not going to get someone, am, am I saying that it's completely powerless? Absolutely not. Because there is power behind this because there's a lot of strength in knowing these things. Uh, but this isn't, information is not what, what is going to get somebody saved. Somebody could know everything about the Bible and still choose, and still choose to just turn turn away from the faith and, and do whatever. People can still apostatize, whatever. Uh, the main thing is, is that people get saved by a change in the heart. They, they allow their heart and, and, and mind, everything to be touched by God. Unless somebody is willing to do that, information will not change the heart. It will only attempt to change the mind. And the thing is, is that minds can be very hard to change, especially in today's society, because a lot of people are extremely stubborn. But enough of that. Um, so, We've talked about books being removed from the Bible. That's 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 our first point. You know, Donald gave his uh, awesome point about that and, and, and cited his evidence. Um, a lot of people, like Trenton brought up, a lot of people like to go into this just mysterious, you know, uh, conspiracy theory type stuff. You know, uh, you know, for example, here all the time. Catholic Church removed books from the Bible. Okay, where's the evidence? Because every time you look into it, it literally, it just doesn't come up. Why don't we have Bibles that have the other books that were quote-unquote removed? And then you could say, oh, well, that's the Apocrypha. Okay, well, we, we, we're, we're going to get into the Apocrypha here in a minute, and we got some awesome stuff for you there. But um, there's a reason why those books are not in the Bible that we have today and there's a reason why they were never there in the first place Mm -hmm. also to add on to that this is less about books being removed from the bible but i do feel like it's a relevant topic in its own right we have a lot of times people don't trust books within the bible now i've already talked about you know how far back we can date these manuscripts but that's very important because the fact a lot of people are like well you know it was so long ago uh and the catholic church could have just done whatever they wanted in that time and you know well here's the thing any historical, any translator making a modern Bible translation worth their soul will not use something that the Catholic Church has touched, right? 
What they're going to do is they're going to go back to the earliest manuscripts that we can find and they're going to translate from that. So for example, a lot of people will mention that the last few verses of Mark were not in some of the earliest manuscripts. Any modern Bible translation that you read will mention that. They'll, they'll put it in brackets and they'll have a footnote that tells you these things. Uh, any Bible translator will translate using the most historically accurate documents we can get our hands on. We're not using the Latin that was used by the Catholic Church in the 1400s to translate our Bibles. We're just not. It's very easy to get caught into that trap of thinking like, well, you know, just God knows what could have happened in that time. We do know what happened in that time because we have manuscripts from just all over different time frames and a large, large amount of them. Another thing is that, and this is a bit of a tangent, I know, but it's important. Another thing is people point out, oh, well, there's differences in certain manuscripts. Those differences are usually as small as grammatical. It's the ancient equivalent of having a comma instead of a period mm. uh, or using a word that means the exact same thing, but just a different word. Mo the vast majority of chain like differences that you'll see between uh, manuscripts are as small as what could basically be considered almost human error right. in, in copying. Which, of course, will just naturally happen when you're putting things down by hand. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just want to throw that out there. I feel as if that is you know, incredibly important that the Bible, uh, specifically the New Testament as we have it today, is some of the most historically accurate documents that you could really get your hands on. And the fact that we still can in the way that we can is ridiculous by history standards. Absolutely. You know, uh, the big thing is to... The, there's there's no way that the Catholic Church would have the power or authority to really change the way that the Bible is and was. Because um, the thing is, is that the Bible was not... Okay, here's the deal. The Catholic Church... When, when, do we know what year it was the Catholic Church was formed? I, I forget exactly when that was. I believe it was sometime in the 600s. Yeah. I, I can't remember the exact date. Because I know, I know that the Council of Nicaea, which I will talk about here in a minute, uh, uh, started in like 325 AD. Uh, and, and, you know, that was when Rome was finally starting to, you know, gain a, a Christian population. Uh, but... Um, the thing is, is that uh, the Catholic Church could not change the way that people had their, quote-unquote, back then, their New Testament. The thing is, is that they were handwritten, copied from other churches who received both letters from Paul and, and probably other apostles, and then um, the Gospels handwritten copies from from one another and that that wasn't in Europe where the Catholic Church is based in the early church was based in the areas like Syria Anatolia where modern-day Turkey is um, of course Israel uh, throughout a lot of I almost said Pakistan Pakistan <laughs> I almost said Pakistan well the what 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 apostle did you say last night that made it to uh, to uh, India? According to tradition. Yeah. Uh, that was. Uh, let's see. If you don't know, that's okay. We can move along. But it is it, just something that crossed my mind. Is that with Pakistan being brought up? 
Yeah, I would need to go back and look into that. All right, that's fine. Yeah. Like I said, we've cited a lot of our sources. Some of this, I will admit, is coming up through conversation, but this is stuff that we have researched uh, multiple times that we have spent a lot of time on. So even though for some of this information that we're kind of just thinking of as we speak, we don't have sources for on us, we did research these things and give a similar level of scrutiny as what we have written in front of us on pieces of paper right now. Mm-hmm. I want to make that very clear. We're not just pulling any of this out of nowhere right? Uh, or just coming up with this stuff. The thing that you know was mentioned about India is tradition. That right. is important to mention. And, and, and you know, we said it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do want to make that clear as well. Right. It was, uh, it was Thomas the Apostle. Okay, that's what I was... I knew it started with a T. Uh, but... What I was saying was the early church was around in those areas, like Trenton said, also mentioned Greece, uh, North Africa, places like that, like kind of moving into Egypt and and Libya and and so on. So those those places are where the early church was. um, And that's where people would exchange documents in order to further their brothers and sisters in Christ such as the letters from Paul, and eventually it would be compiled into the New Testament um, over time. But uh, the thing is, is that there's no way that the Catholic Church would be able to do all the things that people say that they do, because the thing is, is that we would have written documents and leftover Bibles from that time where it had those books. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not I'm not I'm not sitting here and bashing the Catholic Church. I'm bashing an argument. I'm bashing this argument that's saying the Catholic Church did all these crazy things and altered our scriptures yeah, and, and books. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is is that it, it's just it's just one huge conspiracy theory that people love to play into because people love mystery. There's nothing wrong with that, but it is wrong when you're going to say all, all these things and then still put your faith in Christ. The, thing, the reason why I say that is because if our scriptures, if our books have, if there have been books removed from the Bible in order to quote unquote protect information or keep information from us from, from the public and if there have been scriptures altered in order to fit an agenda okay, then your faith is shakable. Your, your faith is unreliable. Everything that we believe in, it, it, it's, it's faulty. There is fault in our beliefs if that is the case. So it's one thing or the other, really. It is kind of like a black and white situation. It, it, it can be described in that manner in which it's like we have every bit of proof that goes toward the validation of the Bible being reliable, its books, its scriptures. When people, and people love to say it, the scriptures have been altered. They, they've been changed over time. It's, it's, it's a, a game of what, what that telephone. phone? Telephone, yeah. Dude, that is just, it's so far from the truth, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, can you find examples of scripture uh, having alterations? Yes, but not in the way that you think. Not in the way that people push. It's literally like Trenton had mentioned earlier, it's grammatical changes. 
and changes in wording, but ultimately meaning the same thing. And once again, wherever there are major differences, such as the last few verses of Mark from the earliest manuscripts, any modern Bible translation will mention it. Mm -hmm. They'll put it in brackets and they'll tell you, even a lot of King James versions that you can buy nowadays right. will do the exact same thing because this historical accuracy is important and people care about it. It's not like you just have a bunch of Christians going around who couldn't care less about the, the legitimacy of a Bible translation translating the Bible. That's not how it works. No, no modern Bible would get away with that. It just couldn't. Right. So, yeah, that that and that's that's a huge thing that we wanted to to talk about right there because so many people are caught up in this lie that, you know, our our Bible isn't as reliable as we think it is. Scripture is being changed. You know, da 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 da. What I've been repeating the past I don't know like five minutes. Uh, so. Just keep in mind, uh, go ahead, Donald. Uh, this is kind of off topic, but it's going back to when we mentioned the Catholic Church. Uh, I looked it up, and the Catholic Church as we think of it now uh, was formed in the 11th century when the during the East-West like split between like the Catholic and the Orthodox. So in like mm -hmm. that's the year 1000, right around there, that time frame. That's when the Catholic Church as we think of it was formed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like the Catholic, he's saying the Catholic Church we know today, which Bird was showing me that earlier, the Catholic Church as we know it today, I think it said 1056. Uh, yeah, that's exactly yeah. Oh, In like December or something. I think it may have, it may have been that or I thought I saw June. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Look, look that up real quick so that we don't just throw that out there with no basis. It was, it was July 16th. July, okay, I knew it was somewhere oh, right there. July the 16th. Um, so, yeah, it's like, by that time, Scripture and the books, the New Testament, was formed. Like, it, it that that's, that's where, like, our canon was already solidified. Now, you could, oh, there goes, there goes glue. All right, we're going to disregard that. <laughs> Ignore that sound. Anyway, um, the thing is, is that, and, and you could say, what, what a lot of people do say is, but what about the Apocrypha? All those books, the, the books that, that, that are in the Bible, that were in the Bible, they were never in the Bible for, to, to begin with. Hmm. The book of Enoch was never in the Bible, never a part of the Old Testament. Um, the book of Thomas, the, the infancy of Thomas, uh, or the infancy gospel the of Thomas. The yeah. infancy to gospel of Thomas, which is a different book than the right, gospel exactly. of Thomas. There, it, it, the list goes on and on and on. I literally looked up uh, the other day where were there books removed from the Bible, and there's literally two. There was two things of it. It was there was an option for the seven books that were removed from the Bible, and then there was one right under that one that said the 19 books that were removed from the Bible. Which one is it? Which one is it? The thing is, is that it's so baseless. It's so baseless that what, what people base these quote-unquote removed books from the Bible off of, it's Gnostic Gospels and, and other crazy stuff that we will get into later. Trenton has some stuff on it. Trenton has a ton of notes on the Book of Enoch, which, by the way, the Book of Enoch is going to we're, we're arranging its funeral in this episode somebody call the police yeah there's gonna be a murder going on yeah it's a we it yeah no i'm not gonna do that <laughs> i'm about quoted a rap song <laughs> yeah, on my mind that's so cringy dude 
Anyway, oh, <laughs> anyway, uh, oh, oh my gosh. Anyway, that was so stupid. I hope Silly. you enjoy that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we want to go we ahead and say bird. To, oh, hey bird. He's being silly. Yeah. Oh, now Donald's being silly. Yeah. I wish you could see this. The chaos going this is on so around in, us. This is so incoherent. Inco- anyway, until we get a cam. This story yeah. is so scientific. Well, you see, I don't. Know. A, we're going off topic here. But are we going to be able to like joke around like we do? Because <laughs> I mean, nobody's able to see what happens while we're recording. It's just you know the the audio. If they if we did have a camera, they would notice just how. They would realize, they would see, we, we Donald talk. would be holding a finger gun at the <laughs> mic every, like, at his mic every five seconds. He does it constantly, yeah. dude. Bird would be leaning back in his chair, like, he'd probably fall over or something. <laughs> Donald's the main culprit, really. He really is. He, he does so much stuff to this poor mic without ever touching yeah. it. It's insane. You, you have would, no clue. You would think that Donald wouldn't be this way, but he is so mischievous. That it's, you're just going to have to see it for yourself. His words and his actions do not align. Anyway. We talk about so so serious topics too, like like apocrypha books, and he's over here holding a finger gun at the microphone. Yeah, he's got some beef with it, dude. He's he's going to murk it. So do we want to go ahead and head into uh, the Book of Enoch? Yeah. About thirty minutes in now already. Yeah, that's fine. We'll 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 go ahead and hop into the Book of Enoch, so we can go ahead and start talking about apocrypha books. We are going to show you why these books, for one, were never a part of the Bible, so they couldn't have been removed, and two, uh, why they will never be. Is it that they're they're scriptures? Okay, I I I just want to go off on this book. Go ahead, start. Do your thing, Trenton. Do your thing. So, firstly, we're going to mostly be talking about First Enoch because, historically speaking, it's incredibly easy to just simply disregard Second and Third Enoch because of the simple fact that uh, Second Enoch was written in the 7th century AD. Now, it is most likely based on an earlier work, but the fact still remains that as we have it today, the book of Second Enoch was written in the 7th century AD, possibly the 8th century AD. Mm-hmm. And that is according to in- the Encyclopedia Britannica. You can find that just by simply looking up Book of Second Enoch, Encyclopedia Britannica. It'll pop up very quickly. It's one of the first things that you will see. Now, a lot of people tend to immediately try to trust the Book of Enoch because if you don't really know the context behind it, it looks as if Jude, in the Book of Jude, is quoting Enoch when he talks about Enoch the man having given a prophecy. Right. But the thing is, I don't, does anybody have that quote pulled up? You don't have to, but uh, if anybody does, or Donald, if you can find it while I'm speaking, that would be great. But even if he is quoting it, it's a very loose quote. Right. Looking back to what the book of Enoch says versus what Jude says here, it's a lot more likely that he's speaking on a Jewish tradition that has existed uh, for a long time before him more so than actually quoting a book of the Bible. Uh, Perhaps more importantly, the book of Enoch being intertestamental would have never been accepted by the Jews. I feel like, Donald, you spoke on that earlier, didn't you, near the start? With the book of Enoch being intertestamental, it would never have been accepted by the Jews. Yeah, it never was. So, no matter how you slice it, this was never considered canon. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
Uh, and so that's, that's important to keep in mind. But perhaps more important is what the book actually says. Which... Before you dive into that, I do want to mention something. It's, it was what we read last night, the whole uh, chiasms. Uh, the, the, the way that uh, it's like a form of uh, literal literary writing. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a form of writing in a way of which they're using it. Uh, the thing is, is that the way that it's quoted doesn't mean that he's quoting it as scripture. Mm -hmm. He's talking about Jude, yeah, by the way. Yeah, in, in, in First Jude. First Jude, verses 14 through 15, actually. Um, which, actually, I got that pulled up. Or did, do you have that pulled up? Okay, I'll, I'll read it really quick. And what it says, and, what, and this is what everybody uses to try and justify Enoch's validity. And it's like, that's if, if there was anything going for Enoch, this would literally be the only thing. Uh, but it says here, in verses 14 and 15, it says, Enoch, the seventh direct descendant from Adam, prophesied of their doom when he said, Look, here comes the Lord Yahweh in his myriads of holy ones. He comes to execute judgment against them all and to, and to convict each one of them for their ungodly deeds and for all the terrible words that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I want to make, uh, I make a, uh, a draw. I, I want to I draw some comparisons here. In uh, 1 Titus, or, or Titus 1.12, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah, where, where, uh, where Paul talks about a prophet from Crete, not a Christian prophet, but a, uh, a prophet of their, the, the Cretan um, religion. I have the verse pulled up. Go ahead and read it. Uh, okay. So starting in verse 10 uh, in Titus 1, For there are many rebellious people full of empty talk, deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them. This is verse 11. They are running entire. They are ruining entire households by teaching that they should that what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. This is verse 12. One of their very own prophets said, "Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons." This testimony is true, but notice how he's not saying that this man is wholly inspired. Right. He's saying one of their very own prophets. Exactly. So he's talking about a group that he thinks negatively of. Mm -hmm. Clearly, but he's saying that what this man said is true, right? So that can be important to keep in mind. Exactly, and that and that's what and that's what that literary style is getting at. What what, what my point is is that the way that uh, in the the writer of Jude is making it clear is um, that that quote is not coming direct. Like you know, you talked about how it is probably. Did you mention how it's uh, probably a. Uh, uh, just like a saying in Jewish tradition. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it could be like that. It almost essentially is that, and because the thing is, is that it never quotes. It, it never directly quotes it from Enoch. It never says. You can go look in the book of Enoch where it says that. Well, Never. I mean, and you'll usually get at least a saying, "Oh, the Scripture says." Exactly. Something. Like and it that. doesn't say. And it doesn't say that. That's a really. That's also a really good point. That's when you know Paul usually always says, "And and the Scripture says," 
or and then this and da 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 but it never does that it doesn't imply jude 14 and 15 does not imply that it is scripture or breathed by god the thing is that it, it just it lines up with something that seems to be true that that appears to be true so that's that's that little mm-hmm. tangent and it's very important and uh, now going into the uh, crazy things that Enoch says yeah. firstly uh, the book of Enoch has Enoch meet Moses not Moses Noah, Noah. that's my bad mm-hmm. but that would be impossible you can look at the timeline uh, he would have already been taken up by God by the time that Noah was born. If you want to find that, you can find that in Genesis 5, where they list off the genealogies and the ages of which people lived to. And I had that pulled up, but I had switched over to go to that verse, uh, so it'd be hard for me to find it again. But I'll, you can go to Genesis 5 and read through that, and if you do the math, you can see that there's no way that, uh, that Enoch could have been around for Moses' birth. Not just does it say that he was there for Moses' birth, but Noah, I keep saying Moses, I'm so sorry. I'm very sleepy. Not just does it say that, it it also, the way that it describes Noah's birth is very ethereal. Mm-hmm. It has him be formed perfectly, you know. He has white hair, his eyes are literally glowing, and he's just this amazing being. You can find this in First Enoch chapters 106 through 107. And I'll show some specific verses. In 106, verse 6, in First Enoch, Lamech, uh, Noah's father, says, It does not seem like he is of me, but of angels. And it kind of like puts Noah to this higher order, mm-hmm. which I feel like it's a bit... That just seems antithetical yeah. to what you can see in Scripture and just what God would do with the birth of a man. Mm-hmm. You know, if he weren't to do that with the birth of Jesus, like the whole fully who had, formed, thing. yes, who yeah. he had be born as a regular man, why would he do that for Noah? Right, it'd be this spectacular being. And if Noah was such a spectacular being, how did he fall into sin himself uh, in the tent? You know, mm-hmm. and so this is uh, important to keep in mind. Also, going into verse 17 of chapter 106. Uh, a statement is made with Enoch prophesying where he states that a plague will wipe out sin from all over the earth. And there's multiple other prophecies in there which actually go directly against Revelation as well. Yeah, it does contradict Revelation. And it's stuff like that leads it to being very untrustworthy in just what it says in and of itself. Like I said, it contradicts Scripture with timelines. There's no way that he should have ever been able to meet him. It also brings up concepts such as angels being able to be tied down with physical rope and thrown into holes right. and things such as that, which are, they have no real basis and they don't make much sense. A lot of it, and I know that a lot of the books of prophets can seem like writings of madmen sometimes, but that's to a way that just doesn't line up with how other prophetical books are written. And you have some other stuff in your notes I don't have in mine, I believe, mm-hmm. that you had talked yeah, about earlier. I can, uh, hold on. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, one of those points is First Enoch chapter 41 calls the kingdom of God divided, which would contradict what Jesus says in Scripture. Um, uh, one point that Bird brought up last night, uh, 
Enoch not being the thing is is that if Enoch was scripture if it if it were considered scripture why isn't it a part why was it ever why was it not ever a part of the Bible to begin with you know something just came to me you could try to make the argument oh well the Jews were just wrong keeping it out of canon mm-hmm. like they did do you not think that Jesus would have made a statement about that Right. Do you not think that at some point Jesus would have done what he did with literally everything else mm. that the Jews had wrong? Because, I mean, if, look, if this was such a huge issue, I'm sure Jesus would have brought it up. And so the thing is, is that the, 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 the Bible is such an important thing for, for one's, uh, I mean, which then again, you do have people in China who have literally one page of the Bible and they use that. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, they... They experience all sorts of crazy Holy Spirit stuff, uh, and their faith is absolutely amazing and untarnished. But the thing is, is that with us, we, we're, we're living in a completely different society, one where it's extremely information heavy, heavy information based, um, and there's a lot of questions, a lot of people who are thirsty for answers, but I think majority of people actually really they want to hear the answer that they desire to hear which is the bible is manipulated the bible has been altered the bible has been you know there there is there there's a lot of shady stuff going on with uh, the bible a lot of people try to push that idea and the thing is is that there's just absolutely no information backing that claim there's nothing supporting that um, and the Apocrypha, as we've listed some of the things off, especially from e- from from First Enoch, in which, like, with that being the case, second and third can be just disregarded. Mm-hmm. Uh, Enoch was not written as Enoch. One thing that we noticed last night, that Donald noticed last night, was that in the way in which Enoch was written, it would switch from a third-person point of view to a first-person point of view over and over and over again. And the thing is, is that that's just... I don't, you, you just need to read the book of Enoch. Yeah. You need to read what we've read. I'll read you a, a little bit. <clears throat> this is First Enoch chapter 12 through 13. I won't read the whole thing. but uh, And this is also important because it, it's a really weird thing that uh, happens. So in chapter 12, verse 3, it says, And I, Enoch, was blessing the Lord of majesty and the king of the ages, and lo, the watchers called me, Enoch the scribe, and said to me, and the watchers in Enoch are like some type of angels, and there's good and bad ones, but <clears throat> there's some kind of like angels. So the watchers, I guess the good watchers, came to him and said um, to tell the bad ones of their demise. And I'll, I'll read that in the next chapter <clears throat> because he does he goes and tells them. So this is chapter 13, verse 1. And Enoch went and said, Azazel, thou shalt have no peace. A severe sentence has gone forth against thee to put thee in bonds, and thou shalt have not have toleration nor request granted to thee because of the unrighteousness which thou hast taught, and because of all the works of godliness, godlessness and unrighteousness and sin which thou hast shown to men. Then I went and spoke to them all together, and they were all afraid, and fear and trembling seized them. And they besought me to draw up a petition for them that they might find forgiveness, and to read their petition in the presence of the Lord of heaven. For from thenceforward they could not speak with him, nor lift up their eyes to heaven for shame of their sins for which they had been condemned. Then I wrote out their petition, 
and the prayer in regard to their spirits and their deeds individually and in regard to their requests that they should have forgiveness and length of days. So Enoch was commanded by the quote-unquote good watchers or the good angels to go to the bad ones and tell them of their condemnation. And then he noticed that fear and trembling seized the fallen angels and they besought Enoch to make them a petition and read it in the presence of the Lord of Heaven. And he agreed to it. He agreed to petition on behalf of fallen angels. Mm. And what Timothy mentioned was that in the first part of chapter 13 it says, And Enoch went and said. And then after, in verse 3 it says, Then I went and spoke to them. Mm. So, so It that. doesn't add up. So like in, in, in that, that's essentially saying that he is basically going to God to try and seek out forgiveness for demons. Which, by the way, I do want to add this tidbit in. They are real. And we're going to acknowledge that. If we're going to acknowledge that angels are real, then demons are real. If Satan's a real thing, then he's got to have some minions working for him. So, yeah, there's that. As modern folks like to say, those little imps that he has around him. Yeah. We and, and they're not they're not a bunch of little red devil little, little things running around with a pitchfork or nothing. But the thing is, that that's a topic for a later time. We won't save that. But uh, we're we're excited to talk about that later on. But it it will be a while. But um, yeah. So I mean, there there's just a handful of examples. Do you have anything else that you want to share about the Book of Enoch, or you want to move on to Thomas? Uh, just because I don't really have anything else on the Book of Enoch. I, I did research it less than y'all did. Mm-hmm. It was just because we were all so sleepy that some notes were missed. Yeah, we were up very late last night. Like we we were here at the church for yeah. like what till one thirty something like that. Mm-hmm. We didn't leave till we, a little we after. We searched it for several hours yeah but uh the the difference is i wrote down a lot of what y'all said and i had coffee and y'all didn't so my notes were somewhat more confused yeah but uh that's the only reason why we used mine i really didn't put as much research into enoch Mm -hmm. as these other guys did what i ended up looking more into was the thomas stuff and then something else that we'll mention later yeah i would have used the my my notes a lot more but the thing is is that we realized this morning that they kind of seem a bit incoherent because i was just sleepy uh, but what we found last night was awesome. It's just some of the things that I had written down uh, was just a little out of whack. Uh, it's like some of the things I got written down just don't seem to sound right, so it, it gets it jumbled up. Like, well, here, here's one. First uh, Enoch 47.4 says, God requires the blood of the righteous. Uh, and this is a point from, I, I do want to uh, add my source here, which by the way is an apologetics website, uh, but if you go and look into it, it it's, it's Christian based, it is. But if you do read their points, they are valid. You can go research them. Um, the, their points about in the, in the Enoch article, uh, you can go and read this, this point, for example, 1 Enoch 47 and 4. Um, but you can go and read that and read the scripture, or, well, I don't want to call it scripture from Enoch, but you can read those... The words somebody wrote, wrote, yeah, wrote yeah, down. in Enoch, and uh, 
see what they're talking about. So for example, 1 Enoch 47 and 4 says God requires the blood of the righteous. It says it isn't discussing the blood of, uh, of the righteous one, but all righteous, like as, as a, an offering of a number of righteous individuals, um, which is a bit strange. Just, I mean, like, it, it's, it's a reoccurring theme. The Book of Enoch is very strange. If you were to read the Book of Enoch, you're going to get jumbled up. It's such a fever dream, dude. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's really weird. And that's a reoccurring theme in Apocrypha. Mm -hmm. Apocrypha, all these Apocrypha books have an extremely strange air about them when you read them. Something feels off. And, I mean, God isn't a God of confusion. Exactly. I and we've gotten very confused by this book. Dates... Are, are, are all weird and uh, interactions are weird. They don't add up. They don't make sense. Uh, which I mean, you could say, well, there's a lot of things in the Bible that doesn't make sense. But it's like there's, there, a, there's a difference. Level, honestly, yeah. This is just this is just like you said, a fever dream. Like it's it's strange. It's extremely strange. And I say that knowing that a lot of the books of prophets can be weird, but it's one of those things where it's like I can say that to y'all I want, and you can be like, well, the books of prophets are are weird. But it's when you read it and you compare side by side, Yeah, it's when you notice, no, there's something off about this one in comparison to the other. One I just have trouble understanding, the other makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Exactly. But uh, if, do we want to move on to the Gospel of Thomas? Or does absolutely. Let's, let's keep chirping along because we are uh, uh, at oh, 48 minutes. Yeah, we have quite a bit left. So mm, keep I want going. to try let's to. Go. I won't rush, but I will probably. Oh, you're good, dude. This, this episode can go as long as it needs to. Because mm -hmm. the thing is, is that this is information-based. This is an apologetic segment. There's a lot packed into apologetics. So we're willing to go as long as possible. Absolutely. I mean, it, I love it, that. That's, that's good. So uh, the Gospel of Thomas is a collection of sayings. Not even really a gospel. Because when we consider gospel books, we think of stuff about the life of Jesus. This is more so just sayings of Jesus that he supposedly had. Right. Now, a lot of folks in the Hebrew roots movement, you will see, use the Gospel of Thomas. And I actually have family members who themselves use and believe in the Gospel of Thomas. And so this is, this is some very important stuff to talk about and discuss because this misleads people very heavily. And I'll use this as a jumping off point to talk about the group that wrote the Gospel of Thomas, which if you know about the group in and of themselves is enough to disprove this quote-unquote Gospels validity. But first, just going off a time frame, the Gospel of Thomas was most likely written sometime in the mid-2nd century. You can find this on Britannica's article about the Gospel of Thomas. That's very important. Once again, going back to other uh, books of the Bible in the New Testament, there's much more close to when they were written time frames that we can find them. The fact that the Gospel of Thomas earliest dating is in the second century, 200 years after the birth of Jesus is ridiculous mm -hmm. in comparison. It's and even most scholars who believe that there is some validity to the Gospel of Thomas will still say that it was written as an independent element from, from the other Gospels. Right. And will group together the other Gospels and put the Gospel of Thomas as a completely independent writing. Right. And not even being possible to have been written by Thomas, the one who is claimed to have written it in the book mm -hmm. at its starting point. That's... That's very important. What you'll also notice if you choose to read through the Gospel of Thomas, I've read through a good bit of it. I haven't finished it, but I have read through a good bit of it, is that it has this focus on this concept of hidden knowledge. And that becomes important because it relates to a group I'll talk about more in a few minutes called the Gnostics. I won't get into them much right now, but they are a group 
that showed up somewhat early on, got really popular in the second century especially. And they have some ideas that are uh, anti-biblical and very wacky. And they were essentially, if you want to put it in the most simple way, they're a mix of Plato's philosophy and Eastern mysticism thrown into Christianity early on. Right. So that stuff is important to keep in mind. And I'll actually mention later on how they were spoken against by the early church very early on into their existence. So another important fact about the Gospel of Thomas is that it includes a lot of sayings that you'll can find in, in the book of Matthew or Luke, but these sayings are always twisted in a very strange way. A good example, I'm going to use verses that you can find very early on so you can just hop right into the Gospel of Thomas and read these, mm. is early on in uh, saying four, uh, or I don't know if they're chapters or sayings, how they're set up, it's very weird, they go very quickly between but uh, verses two through three and this is Jesus speaking here for many who are first will be last you know that's classic and then you expect and those who are last will be first what it says after that is and they will become as a single one and you see that type of wordage used in verses that we're very familiar with Jesus happen a lot and this is important because of the fact that there is much more historical validity to be given to what is actually in the Bible. If you ask a historian which one they trust, they will not tell you it's the Gospel of Thomas. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be considered as historically viable. These are clearly what would be considered changes to the more accurate versions of what Jesus has said. And this type of thing shows up a lot throughout uh, the Gospel of Thomas. Another thing that I noticed when I read through is just the way that Jesus chooses to speak is very strange. Now, Jesus could at times sort of speak in a way that was confusing. He would do it intentionally. He had said at one point that he wanted people to, uh, I can't remember the verse that it is, I wish I could, but he wanted people to have to spend their time and think about what he said. Right. And, but there's a difference between that and some of the confusing stuff that he would say in the actual Gospels versus uh, sentences like, in 7, 1 through 2, this is supposed to be Jesus speaking. Blessed is the lion that a human will eat, and the lion will become a human. And anathema is the human that the lion will eat, and the lion will become a human. There is, that just sounds like a bunch of mumbo-jumbo, bro. I can't even lie. It absolutely is. And it, it goes down to the Gnostics. Uh, I'll, I'll talk more about that later on. But they had a very big focus on this idea of hidden knowledge and confusion and mystery and so they have they they write Jesus as speaking in a way that very much fits in with that concept, which you do not see in the canonical, more historically viable gospels. Now, this is just about all I have written on the Gospel of Thomas itself, but to me that is more than enough. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Just the simple fact of when it was written is enough. See, the thing I noticed when I went into the Gospel of Thomas is like it it very quickly got disproved. You don't have to do much effort right. yeah. to figure out how it is not canonical and how it should not be canonical. Once again, it's important to mention it was never really accepted by early Christians very often. There were certainly sects, but it was just because it was a Gnostic gospel, it was not accepted fairly early on. So I'll use this as a jumping off point to speak to you about what the Gnostics were. Because if you'll look, most of these uh, books in the new, uh, you know, apocryphal New Testament books the majority of them were written by the Gnostics between the 2nd and 4th century. The vast majority of them. If you've heard of a uh, New Testament apocrypha, it's probably a Gnostic book. They wrote a lot of these things, 
and they're usually very strange, fever dreams, Gospel of Judas, and stuff like that. So I'm just going to give you a straight description of what most Gnostics believed. I should say there were certain groups of Gnostics, so these beliefs weren't carried by every single Gnostic, but as a generalization, Gnostics believed that our bodies were created by the Demiurge, Yaldabaoth, who God created in a moment of weakness. Yaldabaoth created the world, and as such, the world and our bodies are evil because Yaldabaoth is evil. And it is the real God who sent Jesus to allow us to realize just how evil our bodies are, and through that knowledge we are saved. Gnosticism descends, or it comes from Platonic philosophy, which is just simply a, a fun word, a science word for the philosophies of Plato's, Plato and his sayings. And Gnostic beliefs, importantly, were refuted very early on by figures such as Clement, such as Clement of Alexandria and Tertullian in the first and second century. Now these are really important facts. And all this that I just said you can find in Britannica and a lot of it can also be found by World History Encyclopedia. And can I tell you, when I came across that World History Encyclopedia article, I got so mad because I did so much research in so many different websites, Wikipedia, Britannica, and then I just found this one website which pretty much talked about the, the majority of what everything else talked about in one place. Right. I was very angry and very sleepy by that point, but uh, that is what happened. Mm -hmm. Now, importantly, it's believed by many biblical scholars that John was actually speaking against an early form of Gnosticism, what we would call proto-Gnosticism. So early on in the development, when stuff from Eastern mysticism was first being sort of thrown in and people were first pushing this idea, you would find this thing where a lot of Gnostics had this belief that Jesus had no physical body. You can also find this in worldencyclopedia.org. Um, there was this belief that Jesus came in fully spiritually. So I want to read off to you 1 John 4, and that would be in verses, uh, ah, give me a minute to find it, 1 through 2. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And this is verse 2. This is how you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God and is in fact the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is even now in the world. Now this is important because these beliefs we know were already held by people as proto-Gnostics that Jesus had no physical body. Mm -hmm. And this is most likely John directly speaking against that concept. Just think about that. In the first century, John was already speaking against the Gnostics. And considering historical accuracy and viability, I, I consider that far more important historically than whatever the Gnostics could have said themselves. You know what I mean? If that makes uh, any sense. And also just this general belief that Gnostics had of Jesus not having a body physically on earth is very easily disproven just by reading through the Bible. There's a lot of places where the Bible will talk about Jesus having come in the flesh, being born of a woman, and things such as that. The opening of John mentions it with him coming in the uh, flesh and dwelling among us. And Peter talks about it quite a bit, about him being in the flesh and dwelling among us. And things such as that. Say that again, Trenton. What was that? 
you're you're a fool. <laughs> Among Us. They'll say that. Yeah, that's a that's a silly little game with a bunch of little colorful astronauts running around. I hope none of us are an imposter. Okay, that's irrelevant. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. hyper. I was. I saw you looking at me. I was thinking, surely he won't. Yeah. You've all looked well, at I each did. other. I did. Yeah, yeah, we did. We all gave one another the look. We, you, we all knew. Every time we hear that, man. if somebody says that during a sermon, it's instantly we, we turn to look to see if any of the others are looking, uh, and we catch eyes, and we, we know we know we know what's going on. But uh, yeah, we're, we're gonna we're gonna move away from that because that's just silly. That's ridiculous. Anyway, are, are did you finish your point or did I did I really interrupt you? you I mostly finished my points. I, I just want to finish this off with this. People will hear about the Gnostics and their very secretive nature and their concept of this focus of knowledge in particular being what sets you free, the secret knowledge, and only the best of the best have it. And you know, if if that's revealed to you, that's the only way to salvation. And it sounds cool. It makes you feel like you're in the Da Vinci Code to get to look into this stuff. You know, if you're an atheist or if you don't believe in God and you're just, you're wanting to learn about this stuff, it feels cool to be like, no, this group that, that got it, they understood it and they were being rejected early on and attacked and this and that. And that's just, historically speaking, it's not the truth. It's fun to be like, oh, the Catholic Church wanted to wipe out the Gnostics. Right. So they just, they got rid of everything they wrote and now we found them in clay jars and we know better. Right. And it's just like, I'm sorry, but if you look at the history, if you look at the early church, if you look at what was said by these people who actually spent time around Jesus and were blessed by the Holy Spirit, as people are blessed by the Holy Spirit today, but these people who spent around time around Jesus, such as John and Peter and Paul, they, what they say goes directly against, even what Jesus himself said, goes directly against Gnostic belief. Absolutely. Ultimately, I don't really have to disprove the Gospel of Thomas to you. I don't have to go into it to disprove it, even though I did for sections of it. I wouldn't have to do the same thing for the Gospel of Judas or any other Gnostic Gospel. The Gnostics themselves disproved it through their belief in Yaldabaoth and their belief in... I mean, keep this in mind. They believe that God didn't create us. They believe that Yaldabaoth created us and that as such we are inherently evil beings. Mm. And none of this is even remotely biblical. And that's why it's so important to not let yourself be misled by this stuff, because it's so easy to hear it at first blush, and it makes so much sense, I understand now, and not dig in any further. And you're just, you're stuck in this miasma that has been put up by these people for thousands of years. I mean, John goes so far as to call Gnosticism, proto-Gnosticism at least, and the people pushing it antichrists, as people, which literally just means someone who is against Christ, it's a belief that is anti-God. It claims itself to be of God. It pretends like it's of God, but in fact it is anti-God. And I don't say this to say something against the people who believe these things. And I'm not trying to attack you by any means, but I want to let you know how dangerous these things are. Because it is, it goes directly against God while claiming his name. It, similar to how religion does claims to be of God, but in fact, it's against God. Uh, does anybody have anything else? Yeah, actually, uh, I mentioned how I was gonna talk about the Council of Nicaea. Also, I just remembered something. I think when I was talking about my point from uh, um, First Enoch 47 and four, I forgot, like I mentioned the website that I got it off of, but I never said the name. So <laughs> I know it's super late, but if you were wondering about that, 
the website is 1c15.co.uk. Uh, they are a, a, an apologetics Christian website. Um, and uh, like I said, if you go and look at the points that they're making, is it going like like we talked about? Is it probably going to be a little biased if you go to like an atheist website or a Christian website? Yes, you're probably going to find some bias there. But looking into the points that they made on that article, uh, they did a really good job. And uh, I mean, there there was nothing that I found that uh, really contradicted them or, or anything mm-hmm. like that. I will say. Kind of what you said. If you do use, I would say I prefer not to use a bias source. But if yes, you do, yes, just do checking in your own time. Make sure that they use peer-reviewed sources. Yes. If they do have references, if they don't, that's already a little untrustworthy. But if you're capable of it, look out and try to find these things yourself and see if they're in agreement with what you read on that website. These things are very important uh, because I don't want to spread mistruths. I know none of us in this room want to spread mistruths, and I'm sure that you yourself, listener, do not want to spread mistruths. So be very careful in your research, even though it can be, be exhausting and boring, and it's a lot of hard work. But I will say, if you're not willing, this is going to sound a little hard, but if you're not willing to put in the work to research something, then I would rather you not talk about it. Right. And I don't mean that rude. Yeah. I guess, and, and we say that too, I mean, if you talk about something that you just absolutely don't know about, you're setting yourself up for embarrassment. I mean, like, imagine going up to somebody and saying, yeah, I know everything about uh, the world wars, and then you just you, you just know that Hitler was there. And, like, you'd be like, oh, yeah, it wasn't uh, – John Lennon also, you know, or something like that. You know, you would get caught off guard with something crazy. You know, if you don't know what you're talking about, don't try and assert a point that you know nothing about. You're gonna set yourself up to get hurt. But one thing I do want to uh, go into is the Council of Nicaea, which is an important thing. Um, a lot of people get this event misconstrued and. Uh, a lot of people are told that it's where people establish biblical canon. That was not uh, that was not when biblical canon was established. But we're going to talk about the can uh, the count the Council of Nicaea really quick. Um, and essentially, what the Council of Nicaea was is when uh, it was a bunch of Christian bishops from uh, you know across the Mediterranean. Uh, Emperor Constantine the first actually had converted to Christianity and he arranged this council and essentially what the council of Nicaea did was it established Jesus as uh, as God as as the son it, it, it established the uh, Holy Trinity as we know it today uh, that's what the council of Nicaea mainly brought about um, and by establish we mean we're not meaning establishes and they came up with the idea Mm-hmm. We mean establishes in this is where it was like we all yeah. agree. Oh, like on they, this they all came to the to the conclusion, yeah. Um, but uh, the when biblical canon was established, um, it was in the second. Hold on, let me let me read this off to you. Okay, so it says here from uh, Oxford bibliographies dot uh, it says, rather, the Old Testament canon emerges for the rabbinic Jews in the second century CE and Christians by the fourth century, and the New Testament canon is largely completed by the middle 
to the end of the fourth century. So by the time of the Council of Nicaea, that was around the era where it was being completed. As it, as it says in that article, it says by the middle to the end of the fourth century. So around in 350 AD to and onward, that's when it would be mainly finished up. It's our current New Testament and Old Testament, our, our Bible today as we know it. Um, but yeah, and if you're wondering when that date started for the Council of Nicaea, they said they're acting like hooligans in here while I'm trying to speak. Uh, but um, it was May 325 AD is when the Council of Nicaea started, and it ended in August 325 AD. My apologies, but uh, Donald tried to quick draw with his finger at the uh, at the microphone. Stop threatening his, the microphone. His hand hit the table as he quick drawed it up, and it made a sound. I don't know if that picked up on the phone, but that's why we all started laughing there for a second. I, I tried to hold it back so hard. I'm tearing up. I won't even lie. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Bird, out of all the things that you heard, dude, you got any wisdom to share with us? Uh, honestly, this is out of my realm of expertise. Um, but I feel like oftentimes people try and identify with a group. You know, mostly, mostly people, uh, identifying either Christian or non-Christian, you know, um, I guess my big brother advice to you would be uh, when you when you try and research these things, um, going, going with what Trenton said, research an unbiased source. Uh, if you're a believer, when, when researching, you know, who else better to ask than Holy Spirit to guide you through these things? That's good. And uh, in researching, and uh, a lot of it would come. You you could have, uh, especially if you work well in the gift of discernment. You know some sources. You know that they could it could spike your uh, your spidey sense up. Like with some of these that we've seen, I believe that we have some very discerning young men. Uh, in this in this research, uh, and I feel like you, you're getting some really good sources and some really good uh, really good teaching on this stuff. So. Absolutely. And so, do, do any of you guys have anything else to add? Because I I, I, get, I do got one thing that I want to finish off with uh, before we end the podcast. I can't think of anything. You got anything, Donald? Go ahead. All right. So one thing I, I want to bring to you. And so well, I, I've mentioned throughout the podcast, you know, uh, don't use this as a tool for arguments. Um, and we've talked about, today we've talked about uh, books being removed. We have disproved that we, we've talked about that and we have essentially debunked it. We've debunked uh, two apocryphal books. Uh, and I mean, when it comes to the other books, you don't really, I mean, dude, it's just so obvious that they're not valid like what what's that one where apparently what was it like peter that starts flying in the air oh, and shooting yeah. lasers it's like out the of gospel eyes? of peter he, yeah. it's like i think he shoots a lightning bolt out of his hand killing the uh the warlock that shows up in acts the one that like converts to christianity what? apparently he goes and yeah it's i i say this having not read the book myself that's something else i've seen 
uh, in descriptions of the book, but yes, it has a weird fight with the wizard starting to fly. That just sounds like a fan. That, that, that doesn't a even fan so, fiction. That doesn't sound like an apostle. That sounds like an Avengers level. <laughs> right. it's, yeah. it's, it's just. Uh, yeah. Also, and that kind of goes against with uh, you know when uh, John and James were like, "Man, I want, I want, give us the permission to rain down hellfire upon this town." Oh yeah. And they couldn't do it. They weren't allowed to do it. Jesus Why would we expect that them. Jesus would allow Peter to shoot a lightning bolt out of his finger? Turned into Iron Man or something. <laughs> yeah. See, like it's 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 these kinds of things. So it we we have never. I just can't imagine that a man flying through the sky shooting lightning bolts out of his hands or whatever but against a warlock. No, no, no. The warlock was throwing fireballs. He was the one flying. Peter stayed on oh, the ground. Oh, okay. He just reached out his finger. Oh, okay. All right. That, that sorry, I got it wrong. It's a, it sounds a whole lot, you know, better. More sane. It, it's it's more believable that way. Yeah. I get it now. Yeah. No, look, all, all I can picture is just like this radical wizard with a long white beard <laughs> and purple roots. Like the ice wizard from Adventure yes. Time. Kind of like that. Yeah. But like he's got, you know, like a Gandalf hat that's purple and it's got was, like the moons. And got, the yeah, stars I literally thought that exact that. same yeah. image in my mind. That's that's Holy Spirit confirmation right there. That's what that is. See, it, that that's the kind of ridiculous stuff so, that so Gnostics are we arguing with. against this known fact? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so Ooh, everybody man. believe in the gospel of Peter. Yeah, that's that's what the, the uh, wizard and everything, I mean the warlock... Uh, after after he converted, right? You said that he converted, or yeah. Whatever. In the book, backs that I need. I, dude, I hate I don't have it in front of me. I feel like we I'm will just, talk about yes. it on the next episode of Apologetics. We yes. will go into the book of Peter, but uh, dude, it, it's just that's the kind of crazy stuff that we that we're dealing with. In here. the book of Acts, this this character shows up in Acts. Mm. He gets converted to Christianity in the book of Acts, so that's why. It's, but he dies against Peter in combat with lightning bolts. <laughs> In, in radical combat against a gnarly wizard. I imagine having like a very like bright <laughs> Donald. No. Oh, I wish we had recording. I wish we had video. He pulled up an image. Yeah. Oh, it's getting very loud on the recording yeah. thing. I'm so sorry. No. We went off on a tangent about yeah. this weird wizard man. Yeah. Well, hey, I, I think it adds flavor. But I do want to add something to the very before we end this off, um, and it's something that Paul warns against in First uh, Timothy chapter four in uh, the Passion Translation. I will be reading out of the Passion Translation. Uh, he says, "Okay, so at the beginning it says warning against false teachers." I think they're still laughing about the wizard. Go ahead. I'm doing it very quietly with my mouth over my face. Okay. Yeah. Warning against false teachers. It says, The Holy Spirit has explicitly revealed at the end of this age, many will depart from the true faith, one after another, devoting themselves to spirits of deception. And uh, it says, there's actually a footnote here that says uh, Aramaic and Hebrew speakers would view this as an idiom for deceiving prophecies. But it goes on to say, them, uh, they would be devoting themselves to spirits of deception and following demon-inspired revelations and theories. Hypocritical liars will deceive many, and their consciousness won't bother them at all. 
they will require celibacy and dietary restrictions that God doesn't expect, for he created all foods to be received with the celebration of faith by those who fully know the truth. Uh, but yeah, that that's... Um, the thing is, what, what to take away from that, and it's pretty simple. You have to be extremely careful with what information you take in today. Because there are demonic teachings and people, false teachers, who are actively trying to misguide you and lead you down the wrong path. Unfortunately, we have seen this in many people's lives. Some people can't help it. Some people were born into it. And, uh, you know, you, you can... It, it's You just have to be patient with those people and pray for them that they are able to get out of that manipulation and those lies. But uh, there is information out there that is used as a stumbling block against you. Be careful with what information you are taking in. Test it and be mindful of it. See if it, like, you, you will have discernment. You will gain discernment over time. Use that discernment to discern whether or not it's coming from the Lord or not. Look into things. Fact check things. Do as we did here on this podcast. Spent all night long working our brains to death, looking through several hundreds of articles, maybe not that many, but you get my drift. Combined, maybe. Yeah. It, it's... Be careful, because the realm of information in today's society, we have so much access to all sorts of information. Not all of that information is true. You need to understand that. People need to understand that not all of the information that is given to you is true be mindful of it fact check it go to the right sources unbiased sources you know that one guy who'll come up to you and be like dude you know what I found out recently and he'll tell you like the craziest thing and, and you'll be like oh how do you know that and like, I, I double checked yeah I know yeah. just just believe me and he won't cite a source mm -hmm. he won't cite a source it's, it's like those those Chad memes where like it's like you're wrong Gives no context to why you're wrong. He's just he's just saying it to say it. Ninety percent of the internet is that guy. Yeah. So don't don't look into ninety percent of the internet. Find the actual sources in the mm -hmm. real places. Don't be that guy, and don't look for your information from that guy. Right. It's like the main thing that we want to do with this series is be able to teach others and, and to help others find information, see information, learn things that uh, will benefit them in their walk and won't shake you up. Because dude. There is a rise in all sorts of stuff. You see it in TikTok. You see it in all sorts of, like, like, dude, I wanted you to make it clear. TikTok is a very misleading app. There's a lot of people on there just talking out of their rear end. They will say whatever gets them views. Remember that. TikTok people are on the platform in order to get views. Some people genuinely just do not care. They want the attention. They want the views so that they can make money. So when you give them attention and you feed into those ideas, that's all that's that's all that they're getting. Um, not saying that every person on TikTok and, and whatever other uh, app is just absolutely wrong and they never will be right. There's more than likely some people on the platforms 
that are giving off good, solid information, but there's ultimately there's a lot of people on there who just want to talk and have fun talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're not really, and then on top of that, they go to sources that literally are just out of whack. Oh yeah. They 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 hold no basis. Like a blog. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know, dude. You see the craziest stuff like. Hitler was actually uh, the nicest person to ever live, yeah. or something crazy like that. Or Hitler's actually in Argentina right now. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Alive. And he's got he's got a he's got a youth serum, or whatever. It's like it's that kind of website. It's that kind of website that these people use. It's like it's just conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory. You know what's sad? And this is gonna reveal a lot about what I watch on the internet. But uh, do y'all know uh, lessons in meme culture? No. That. That channel, which talks about memes, is quicker to cite its sources and cite them properly than most things you'll see talking about Christianity. And that's not a joke. I'm being serious. Mm. See, it's just the thing is, is that we don't we don't have to go into you know, like we will eventually go into uh, the history of Jesus. You know, like well, the proof of his existence and whatnot. Uh, we will go into those kinds of things. We'll go into a lot more for the apologetics series. Uh, it's just right now we wanted to talk about the the Bible specifically today and the apocrypha because that is such a huge topic in today's society, and I think it messes with a lot of Christians' faiths and it sto- it prevents people from putting their faith completely into the Bible. Maybe not Jesus, but into the Bible. It's like like I said earlier in the podcast. If our scriptures have been manipulated, if our books have been contorted, then our faith is extremely shakable and unreliable. So, with that being said, is that that it? Everybody got their piece in? Got about everything I got. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Timothy Dotson. I'm Trenton Alak. And I'm Donald Garrett. And I'm Nathan Bird. (laughs) And you have been listening to The Passion Cast.